Morning, everyone. We are in the book of Hebrews, but before we get to our passage in Hebrews, we are going to look at John chapter 17. Now, John chapter 17 happens to be one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, and I know I say that just about every chapter that we get to, but John 17 is the actual Lord's Prayer. Not the prayer he taught his disciples to pray, but the prayer that Jesus himself said on our behalf. And I say this as a disclaimer, because what we're going to be dealing with in chapter 5 of Hebrews is hard, tough, difficult, painful, and may, just may, offend you slightly. That's my hope. So, we're going we're gonna to go to John chapter 17 first, just to kind of give ourselves some encouragement when we get to Hebrews chapter 5. And in John 17, Jesus starts out, has many things to say, and I really have to keep this short, speak quickly, because I'll never get to uh, Hebrews chapter 5 if I spend too much time in John 17. But in John 17, Jesus is praying, and he says things like this in verse 8. He's praying to God, his Father, and he says, For I have given them, that is his disciples, the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in the truth that I've come from you, and that they have believed in you who sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And again in verse 20, I do not ask for these alone, just his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you. Jesus specifically prays for you. He prays that you would know his unity he has with the Father. He prays that you would know the truth. He prays in that prayer that we would be unified just as Jesus is unified with the Father, that we would enjoy fellowship with him, with the Father, and with one another. And he prays to that end. Does that not encourage you that Jesus himself prayed for you? When he was praying to the Father in John 17, he had you in mind. That is how deep his love is for you, how passionate his love is for you, how on display his love is for you, that he went before the Father in the weeks before he was crucified and thought of you and said, Father, you need to be with them. You need to have the truth in their hearts. You need to have my word in their heart. You need to have my work in their heart. Father, you need to protect them and love them just as I have loved them. He loves you deeply. You've got to keep that in mind. Keep that in mind when we get to Hebrews chapter 5. Because things just got real. Things just hit the fan. Snap, God brings us back to reality. Even though he prays on our behalf, God says, there's something I need to tell my people. There is something that I need to warn them about. There is something that I need to awaken them to. There is an alarm going off. There is a fire in the building. And God needs to grab your attention any way he can. And the only way he can do this through scripture is through words. Through words. Now, I deeply have prayed that these verses don't apply to any one of you. I don't want these verses to be, oh yeah, Tim, that's me. I don't want that to be the case. But if these verses are talking about you, 
then there is no better moment than right now to address it. There is no better moment than this second that God has given you to hear these words and have these words convict deeply in your heart that you pay attention to it and you respond to it. Don't ignore it. These words are meant to wake you up just in case you have been falling asleep during the passages previous to this. All about the glory of Jesus Christ. All about his greatness and priesthood. If these verses, if the chapters before this have become unimpressed to you, if you're like, I've heard all this before, what's new? Then these verses that we're looking at today are meant for you. If you've looked at the chapters we've looked at before and went, wow, I cannot believe how amazing God is. I cannot believe how perfect Jesus Christ is a suitable substitute for me. I can't believe how perfectly he was groomed for this task. If you're amazed at Jesus Christ, then perhaps these verses are just going to be a good warning. And you may not have to act upon them. But in case you're kind of bored with the idea that Jesus Christ is the perfect great high priest, then these words are here for you today. In the very first verse we're looking at, in chapter 5, verse 11, the author of Hebrews says, about this, that is Jesus as our perfect best high priest, Filling the role of being a perfect sacrifice, perfect mediator between God and man, perfect in all of his ways, far greater than Moses, Abraham, or even Aaron and his priesthood. He's like Melchizedek, mysterious and far superior to Abraham as the father of the faith, far greater than him. So as to these things, the author says, we have much to say. And he goes all the way through chapter 10 to talk about it, but he has much to say. And it is hard to explain. Why is it hard to explain? Since you have become dull of hearing. Basically because you have switched it off and said, none of this really matters. It's a great little story, but what impact does it have for my life? None. It's just same old thing. Priest, priest, priest. Holy, holy, holy. Sacrifice, sacrifice. Ugh. And you can switch it off. I know I'm not the only one to switch off people when they're talking, right? It happens to all of us. And I realize that it even happens in church because I used to do it. I still have a problem sometimes listening to 40 minutes of a sermon going, oh, when's it going to end? And all of a sudden I start daydreaming. And it's not bad daydreaming. It's just like, oh, this would be neat to happen this week. I wonder how that's going to turn out. And I just start thinking, and before you know it, 10 minutes has passed, and I can't remember a single thing they said. Dull of hearing. He's not talking about physically you're deaf, but you've just tuned it out. Tuned what out? The message and story that Jesus Christ is the best, perfect, great high priest there ever was, and there's never need for another priest ever again. He fulfilled it perfectly. And there are people, believe it or not, that are kind of done with that message. Eh, I've heard it before. I don't want to hear it again. I've already been through that. I already get it. What's new and next? 
There is nothing new in next. The new in next is how are you going to relate to Jesus Christ as your great high priest? How are you going to celebrate that? How are you going to depend upon that? How are you going to rejoice about that? How are you going to tell others about that? But that's the message. That's the message of all of Scripture. And if you are dull of that, if you are bored of that, then there's nothing else I can give you. There is no other message that I can present to you. There is no other word or truth that is going to be having eternal consequence in your life but this message that Jesus Christ is the great high priest, that his sacrifice was sufficient and full for all of his children, and that he loves you deeply and he wants you to know that message, we can never be bored of that message and tune it out because it's old news. What's new? What's next? They've become dull of hearing. These are first century Christians, probably no more than 20 or 30 years removed from the actual death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were on the cutting edge of what Acts talks about, that vibrant, loving, giving, serving, unified church, full of zeal and evangelism, soon to be martyred and thrown to the lions by the Romans because they believed there is one God, one Lord, one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ, and there is no other. No matter how important the emperor thinks he is, he is not God. And they would pay with their life. These are the Christians we're talking about, the ones that are seeing miracles and speaking in tongues and just wildly extravagant displays of the Holy Spirit to prove his message is true and accurate. Dead have been raised. I am sure there are still people in that day living that were resurrected when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Did you know that there were mass resurrections taking place the moment Jesus died on the cross? Tombs broke open and people were raised from the dead. I'm sure they still have testimony. They still have firsthand witnesses of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. And they had become dull of hearing. They had become bored with the message that Jesus Christ and him alone is salvation. Bored of it. Dull. And closed ears. There's much to say. It's hard to explain because the people shut the message out. I'm not saying the message of Jesus Christ as high priest, as the perfect substitute for us, is an easy message. It's hard because the message strikes at the very nature of mankind that says, you're not number one. You don't have it all together. You're not the best thing since sliced bread. You're not. You are valued before God because you're made in his image and he loves you deeply. But this is not all about you. It's about him and we, what he does for you. And that message can be offensive. It can be ridiculed, for sure. It can be completely dismissed as fable. And it can be attacked, even within the walls of a church. May we not be dull and bored and resistant 
to the message that Jesus Christ is a sacrifice sufficient to pay for our sins and that his death was real and that his resurrection was real and that his second coming will be real. That is not a boring message. It's a message of salvation. It's the message of immense sin being forgiven. It's a message of grace and mercy and tenderness. And it is a message of black and white. It is a message of truth and error. It is a message of sin and forgiveness. It is a message about Jesus. And we can never become dull and bored and shut ourselves off to that message. And if you hear it a thousand times at Calvary, I think you've heard it less than you should because you should hear it 2,000 times, 3,000 times, or more. You should be constantly hearing it from the songs and the worship and the prayers and service and the message. You should be constantly hearing about the greatness of Jesus Christ. Never become bored. Never become dull. And I think that that is a great alarm that when you come and you've, you've had a busy week and you sit yourselves down and the message starts, and if you go, oh, man, that's not my favorite verse. Oh, really? we got to talk about that. Oh, he's talking about that again? I think that is a beautiful, self-aware alarm that should make you go back to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And I'm not, well, I don't, I don't have anything written. Actually, I do. I have a whole bunch of post-it notes. You, if you have an old-fashioned Bible, you can actually write down in the very front cover Hebrews 5.11. Because you're going to forget Hebrews 5.11, where it's found. You're going to remember the message, but you're going to forget the verse. And so that is a beautiful thing to do, to put it directly in your Bible, Hebrews 5.11. And when someone looks through it one day and they go, wow, look at John 3.16, Deuteronomy 29.29, and you've got some massive verses in there, and then you've got Hebrews 5.11. And they're going to go, I wonder what Hebrews 5.11 is. I don't remember that one. Something, it's got to be something about God's promises. It's got to be something about his love. It's got to be something about his forgiveness and greatness. Won't they be surprised that one of your life verses that you turn to was don't be dull of hearing. Don't get bored and shut out the message of Jesus Christ as the great, pinnacle, final, absolutely best high priest ever. Don't be dull of the message of Scripture. He goes on, and I wish I could say it gets a little bit better, but it doesn't, not yet. He says in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. The expectation, the expectation, the normalcy of the Christian life, when someone comes to faith 
and they believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and they're adopted into that family, and they're born again, they are made justified before God, all those beautiful things that accompany believing in him, there should be a noticeable difference in how you think and how you live years from that date. If you can remember a time where you asked, for lack of better terms, Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior, if you remember that time, if it was a week ago or it was 50 years ago, there should be a noticeable difference in your life, how you love, how you forgive, how you extend mercy, the whole fruits of the Spirit. You should have more hope, more joy, more peace, more calm, more comfort, less frustration, less depression, less anxiety, less worry, less anger. And you should have more and more love. There's an expectation that over time, you should be leading people to Christ. You should be telling the story of God's goodness and greatness. You should be declaring to your friends and family how awesome he is and how they need to get right with God. That should be vastly more important than who's playing next Sunday in the Super Bowl. Vastly more important how your day at work was. Vastly more important how school was. Vastly more important, hey, how are your parents doing? Vastly more important than the weather vastly more important than politics. Vastly more important than making sure you get enough money. Vastly more important than your career. Vastly more important than any other relationship you have. The truth that God loves his people immensely and Jesus prayed for you should make an impact in your maturity, should make an impact in how you display the Christian life to those around you. It should be different. If you had a problem swearing before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that should be changing. If you had a problem with lust or envy, that should be changing. Not that it disappears completely, but you should have less trouble with it today than you did a year ago or 10 years ago. And if you've been walking with Christ for as long as you can remember, I'm not saying that you're going to walk on water, but you should have a maturity about you that when you talk about the things of faith, people see your words and your life match. What you preach is what you live. And there should be a noticeable extended growth in that. But the author of Hebrews points out to the people he was writing or she was writing, they didn't have that maturity. They weren't ready to be leaders. They weren't ready to be evangelists and missionaries. They weren't ready to stand and say, follow me as I follow Christ. They were still, in his words, babies needing milk. I was shocked when I found out that in America, well, compared to the rest of the world, we drink milk sort of all through our infancy to childhood, even into adulthood. 
it's not uncommon to have a glass of milk. I was shocked that the rest of the world doesn't see it the way we do as Americans. I don't know where that failed, but I mean, they need to be following us in every sense. I mean, get rid of the metric system, get rid of driving on the, right, I mean, the left side of the road, craziness. But they don't follow our example of drinking milk all through pretty much our life. Why? Because they get it right, actually. Milk is for babies. Now, it doesn't mean we can't have hot chocolate or chocolate milk or something like that. We still can do that. That's not the same as having like a glass of milk or milk under cereal. That's fine. But this idea of that's all I can handle is milk. All I can handle is baby food that's been pureed and crushed and smushed into this little jar. There's no way they can get an entire turkey dinner into that little jar and it be appetizing for an adult. But when you cut out, ignore, and suppress, and think the things of God that he says about his son are dull and boring and uninteresting, then the author of Hebrews says, you need to be treated like a baby. You don't get the basics of the Christian life. Don't even worry about predestination if he can't handle this. Don't even worry about election and God's sovereignty and the big questions of what is the proper mode of baptism or what does the Lord's Supper mean. Stop asking those questions and get back to the basics. Who is Christ in your life? Are you firmly planted in faith that he is your only hope and comfort in this life and the next? Is he your all in all? Is he your yes and amen to every promise? Do you adore him? Not do you know stuff about him, but do you adore him? Is he precious in your eyes? The one who becomes dull of hearing that message is in real trouble. Serious trouble. Their growth is stunted. Their usefulness in the kingdom is stunted. Their usefulness in the church is stunted. Because instead of having a congregation filled with zealot believers who are firm in their faith and joy and expression of God's truth, they need to be swaddled. They need to be swaddled. And that is dangerous. And that is why the author of Hebrews warns so sternly, don't be like this. You should be leading examples of Christ in your life, mature believers having fruit that is noticeable and tangible. Instead, your babies needing baby food. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says something very similar. In 1 Corinthians 3, just the first three verses, I'm just going to read those real quick. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready yet. For you are still of the flesh, and while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not. You are not. Or are you not of the flesh, and behaving only in human ways, for one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Paulus. Are you not merely being human? 
Paul says he has an expectation of this church at Corinth that he planted, that he was a missionary to, that they'd have maturity now, but they're still dealing with jealousy and strife. They're still disunified. They still have ignored the unity that Christ has with the Father and he has with us and what we should have with one another. And strife is eating away to the point where Jesus, or Paul has to say, you're infants. You can't handle more deep truth because you can't deal with the very first oracle of God. That he is God, we are not, and we need him to save us. And he has sent his son to do that. And if we can't be excited about that, thrilled about that, and live in light of that, and walk in faith regarding that, then Paul and the author of Hebrews rightly declares that we are immature believers. And that is very dangerous. In Hebrews, back in Hebrews, verse, uh, we looked at verse 11, 12, verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Wow. If we can't get past this beautiful truth that Jesus Christ is the high priest, how many times am I going to say that today? I have no idea. But that's the whole point of what's happening in the entire book of Hebrews is that Jesus satisfies the law's demands on our behalf and becomes for us the only path to God. And that is exactly what the high priest in the Old Testament's goal was, to show us how to get to God. And Jesus doesn't simply show us how to get to God. He brings us to God. He carries us in that relationship. He doesn't just point and say, oh, you got to go that way. No, 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 no. He takes you, leads you, guides you, and at times carries you. Because sometimes we are dull of hearing about that message. We are blind to it. We think it's no longer significant. Let's get on to something bigger and better. And so we have to hit that alarm that says, if you have that attitude, let's get on to something bigger and better. I'm done with all this. We've talked about this for now five chapters. Let's stop and get on to something bigger and better. We have failed to grow in that maturity. You see, the Christian life starts with that message that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. It starts there. Our relationship starts there. I mean, that is our building point, our starting point, the beginning but even the end, even the very end when we're in the heaven and eternity, even when all of this life is over and we're enjoying the bounties of heaven itself, do you know what the message of heaven is going to be the entire time? It's going to be about how awesome Jesus Christ is as our Lord and Savior. It starts with that message, and it ends with that message. That message has to be absolutely thrilling to us because it's the only message that will ever bring hope. It's the only message that will ever save from hell. It's the only message that will give you peace. 
lasting peace, real peace, a peace that the world doesn't understand and the world doesn't have a clue about. But it's a peace that you can look at even death itself and say, you are no victor over me. You have no power over me. You have no place over me. You have no authority over me. Christ has destroyed it. And I live in him. And my life is everlasting life. That message, it will be with you for eternity. It is the starting point of praise, it is the middle of praise, and it is the end of praise. It is all your worship, it is all your prayer, it is all your thoughts, it is all that eternity will be about, is how glorious and great Jesus Christ is in what he did for people such as us that are slow to hearing, slow to action, bored out of our minds at time, thoughts wandering around the universe about what's going on instead of thinking about who Christ is and how I should live for him today. It never advances over that. Uh, I may have mentioned this before, but uh, there was a, a pretty famous theologian named Karl Barth, or Bart, depending on if you're German or not. And... Um, he was not a particularly uh, conservative individual, uh, but in the late 1800s, uh, he was asked at a conference one time uh, what the greatest little tidbit of theology is that he's ever heard. And this is a man who's, I've, I've read his volumes on theology. I mean, he wrote a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff, very deep, very complex. And so when this student asked him the question, what is the greatest single thing you found out in all of your study towards the end of your life about God and Scripture. What is it? And they were expecting some huge discourse about something minute and super special that only mentioned one time in Scripture that just blew Karl Barth away. But you know what he said? The most amazing thing he's ever come across in all of Scripture? Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. What? This man who devoted 50, 60 years of intense doctoral study of theology, that's what he came up with? Is the most complex, unique, glorious thing he's ever come across? Summarized in a children's song? That if we ever sang that on a Sunday morning, we'd be like, eh, I'm not a kid Sunday school. Why are we singing that? It's because it has an amazing truth that carries us from the beginning of our life to the end of it and everywhere between. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the believer that connects onto that and lives each day in light of that grows and is mature and is then ready for complex things about heaven and hell and God's judgment and justice and sovereignty and election, then they're ready to dive into some of the deeper, more challenging things in Scripture. Like, when are the end times going to happen? Immaterial. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not walking in faith with him right now. That's a ridiculous conversation to have. That's unimportant. Because you've got to get the fundamentals down right first. And those fundamentals will last you into eternity.
Verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, that mature individual walks so closely to God that they get it when the world says, hey, you know what, let's compromise here. It's not all about God. You can have some free time to yourself. Take a break. Relax a little bit. Enjoy that. The mature believer goes, that may be a good activity. It may be fine. But if I get my concentration off of God, then I'm in danger. And I don't want to be in danger. I want to be lovingly enjoying this family relationship, not stressed about the relationship with God. So you know what? I'm going to stick to what I believe. I'm going to stick to Scripture. I'm going to stick to listening to Him. I'm going to stick to praying and meditating upon His Word. I'm going to stick to practicing loving others and loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to give it my all. In John chapter 14 again, and I'm going to take us home here. In John 14, I think he gives us some beautiful keys to mature Christian living. If you're looking for, okay, Tim, I get it. This message about Jesus Christ being our great high priest is super important. I understand I'm not going to outlive this need to talk about him as my Savior and depend upon him as my Savior. I get it that some of those more complex, minute things of Scripture probably shouldn't focus on until I've really got this love thing down totally. I get it. How do I do that? How do I actually make concrete steps to make this happen? And I think in John chapter 14, before his great prayer for us, he says in verse 12 of, verse, of chapter 14, a few things. I think he gives us four things. I'm going to read these verses real quick, and I'm going to point out these four things, and then I'm going to leave it to you to practice them. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, belief in him, is number one importance. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, prayer, Communication with the Father, vitally important. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That means according to his will. You don't just add Jesus at the end of your prayer and say, okay, it's got to come true. He's not a genie. This is if you're asking according to his will. So you have to know Scripture to be a great prayer warrior. To have your prayers answered, pray the way Scripture teaches us to pray. Pray for the things Scripture teaches us to pray for. That's number two. Number three, if you love me, verse 15, you will keep my commandments. Fourth thing. So first thing is belief in him. Second thing is diligent prayer before him, communication with the Father. Third thing is love. Love him. And fourth thing is demonstrate that love by being obedient to his commandments. The truth of his word will guide you without fail, never disappoint you, sometimes sting with correcting you, but will never misguide you and leave you with your hands up going, how do I love? How do I live? 
he tells us. I'm going to have the elders come up. We're going to have communion, which is the penultimate design in God demonstrating to us how perfect he is as a high priest because he puts on display before us in symbols of bread and wine as his body and blood. And so take nourishment from that. Take excitement from that. And relive the moment that you first believed in him and say, that excitement and amazement is mine today because of his sacrifice 2,000 years ago. Paid it perfectly. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the goodness in our lives of how you have saved us. Father, help us not to get bored and unexcited and and dull of hearing about the great message of salvation. Help us, Father, to live that message daily and to be mature before you, doing good from evil according to your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
As we're finishing up with communion, would you guys stand with us as we sing this last song? Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every more, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. No wrongs we have done Omniscient, all-knowing He counts not their sum Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore Our sins, they are many His mercy is more Praise the Lord His mercy is from the beginning of the message was about what? Jesus is praying for you. And even now, the Spirit intercedes on your behalf, asking God things that are not even imagined to you to keep you close. 
and to keep you growing. Until next week, God bless. Bye.